Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Thank you. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 30. You are invited to stand as you're able. Then one of the 12, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to one another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi, he replied. You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never drink again from this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Jenny. And um, so on the sixth Sunday of Lent, the Revised Common Lectionary gives us two different options. Uh, It gives us the Liturgy of the Palms, and it gives us the Liturgy of the Passion. And the Liturgy of the Palms is what Ali's video so brilliantly explained. There's this king, Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet that comes into Jerusalem. And although at first the crowds honor him, uh, later they turn against him. And then in the Liturgy of the Passion, we start in a very different setting. We start with Jesus and his disciples in the Last Supper. The Liturgy of the Passion begins on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death. He gave thanks and he 
broke the bread. And it's how we start our Eucharist service every single time. And in that uh, passage, we also see people betraying Jesus and walking away from Jesus, right? We see Judas betraying Jesus. We see uh, his disciples walking away from him, Peter denying him, everyone except for Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and John, they just, they walk away. And how that, if Jenny would have kept reading those 97,000 verses, uh, verse 31 says this, and then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Uh, but after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And then Peter said to him, <laughs> I love Peter, they'll all become deserters because of you. I will never desert you. Then Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So here's the first all play question. For those of you who are courageous enough to respond, remember all play questions are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. And they're also one of the ways in which we believe God speaks. We believe God speaks to us in conversation. When we open up the Bible, there's almost no way that you and I can figure it out on our own. But when we listen to the voice of other people, when we hear other people's perspective, when we turn it and keep on turning it, we have a way of hearing something we never could have heard if we were just on our own. And so first I'll play question, why did almost everybody turn on Jesus? during Holy Week. Why do you think? Would love to hear some kids into this too. Why did, why did the people that love Jesus, the people that honor Jesus, the people that said, Hosanna, thank God, Hosanna means our savior has come at last. Why did, why did the people that loved him turn on him and desert him? Fear of reprisal by the current empire. Yes, Bob. Uh, self-preservation. It was easy uh, because he wouldn't slay the Romans. Yes, because he refused to be violent. Thanks, Allie. Um, they felt betrayed. Cassandra, I think you're totally right. Um, John, they weren't, the, he wasn't the savior they were hoping for. Uh, from Owen, yes, thank you. They realized that he wasn't here to defeat the Romans like they wanted him to. Yes. When things get hard, sometimes we run away. Oh my gosh, Katie, absolutely. Uh, they were embarrassed. Um, They're just following the crowd, following the mob, mob mentality. Uh, and from Peyton, their idea of what should happen was let down, right? And I think it's so fascinating, you guys. Um, this is such a universally human experience that we have these expectations and we have these hopes of what are what is going to happen regarding everything in our lives that we're hoping for. Uh, we very rarely hope with open hands. We hope and we have some clutched hands of what we hope for. We hope things will happen in a certain way. We hope things will go down in a certain way. Like, and in the time of Jesus, see, Jesus was Jewish. That's something that people kind of forget. He wasn't a Christian. 
he was Jewish. And so he belonged to the Jewish tradition. He followed the, the Jewish seasons of the calendar when, and they had one, he went to temple, he taught in temple. He was instructed in the way that a rabbi would have been instructed. And in his time, there were four different ways of believing and practicing that would bring Messiah sooner. And the first way is a group of people called the Sadducees, right? And the Sadducees were the temple priests. They were the people who ran the temple. They're also, their practice was, and they believed if we ran the temple the way that God wanted us to, Messiah will come. But they also had to collaborate with the Romans. And so you, you heard a lot of on the chat on the, on the uh, right-hand side how Jesus wouldn't slay the Romans. Jesus wouldn't overturn the Romans. Well, the Sadducees actually they kind of collaborated with the Romans. So certain people saw them as tainted, right? But there was another group called the Zealots. And people believed Judas may have been one of those people. And Zealots believed that the way to practice Messiah coming, the way to believe was you could even use violence to bring God's kingdom on earth, that that wasn't um, contradictory. And so, you know, Zealots would would start riots. And so certain things would happen the way they wanted them to. Another group was the Pharisees. And this would have been the most influential of, of all the different Jewish, think of them as, as denominations, right? Um, their first characteristics is they are devoted to Torah, to the law, and to interpreting the law, and to living life as closely as possible to Torah. Um, and they believed in a kind of cooperation between divine will or fate and human cooperation, that it was some kind of mixture. And a lot of times we have a really negative connotation of Pharisees. We believe that no matter what, they're always hypocrites. And that really wasn't true in the time of Jesus. There would have been some Pharisees that we read in the book of Acts that joined the way of Jesus after he died and was resurrected again. And, um, and so um, now I'm like looking at the, I gotta be careful not to look at the comments when I'm, <laughs> when I'm not asking a question cause they're so hilarious. So the fourth group was the Essenes and the Essenes was a kind of a radical sect that, that probably felt most like a cult. They lived apart from everybody else and they believed that following their rigid laws in, in a particular way and that they were over and against and above everybody else, that that's what would bring Messiah. And that that's what would, that was, that's what would bring the children of Israel back into being restored. And it's really interesting that, that the Jewish people in the time of Jesus and still, it's not so much what you believe, it's what you practice. That's what matters. And so each of these four had a different way of practicing. And so you can see that all four of these people were hoping for Messiah to come. We're expecting Messiah to come. And interestingly, when Messiah did come, all four of them were disappointed. And none of them accepted, as a group, accepted the way of Jesus. And so, um, okay, when I was a kid and I wanted my parents to give me something that I wanted, I used some different strategies, okay? So when I wanted my parents to follow my agenda, even though I knew that I wasn't in charge, I used some different strategies, just like the Jews in the time of Jesus used different strategies 
to get Messiah to come in their way, I use some different strategies. What were some of those strategies? Let's have that be an all play. What were some strategies that I used to get my parents when I was a kid to do what I wanted them to do? Puppy dog eyes. I had good puppy dog eyes too. Uh, <laughs> puppy face, hold your breath. <laughs> Fake crying, yes. Pitting parents against one another, 100%. That's one of the things that I wrote down. Um, have the favorite child ask. <laughs> I don't think I was the favorite child, but maybe. Ask over and over again. Uh, the, the McWhite kids are big on the all my friends have it thing. Totally. And that works sometimes. It really does. Loud noises. Begging, Freya. Yes. Deception. Being kind. Rational justification. <laughs> I would, Nathan Banker says, I would get out of being grounded by showing how repentant I was. Yes. Okay, what did Jacob say, Amber? Say it again, because it's, it's, it's all the way gone. Um, punish myself first, Christine says. Oh, being kind. Yes, Jacob. Absolutely. <laughs> Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth asking dad after getting no from mom, 100%. That never happens in our house, does it, does it guys? Um, Dad, if it's okay with mom, can I go? Mom, dad says it's okay to go <laughs> as long as it's okay with you. Clean my room. There's so many ways. I, I, so I, I wrote down these four ways, and you guys have said them all, I think, but I would try to follow the rules exactly, right? So that they would, would reward me with good behavior. Um, and I don't know if anyone said this, but at times I would try to rebel as big as I could so that they would be forced into kind of compromising with me. Huh? Anyone ever try that, Charlie All? I think you did. Um, I tried to play them against each other, 100% for sure, 100%. And I also tried to get what I needed and wanted on my own at times uh, without them. Sometimes I resorted to that. And so what I want to say is we think about Palm Sunday, as we think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and, re and remember, Jesus was doing so in, in one of the gospels that says when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that last week, he did so full of compassion and he did so weeping over Jerusalem. If they only knew, he said, what would bring for peace, but they don't and they won't. And so they, they held on like we all do to our agenda and to what we think God should do. And I want to say this in as clear and as like obvious as a way as I know how. Um, Charlie, that was more of Davis' strategy. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> um, no, I believe every human being and every human system has tried to co-opt God. Like kids try to co-opt their parents to further their own agenda. I think that's just one of the human universal experiences. We all do it and we all need to admit that we do it. But because God is ultimately limitless, which again, Richard Rohr says that God being limitless doesn't mean that God is unknowable, just that God is endlessly knowable. Can I get an amen for that? God being mystery and God being limitless doesn't mean 
that God is unknowable means that God is endlessly knowable. And because that is true, we all have to start practicing a way of believing in God and believing in God in a certain way. And even though it's flawed, that certain way works, right? Many of us at Genesis, many of us would say there was a way of believing that we grew up with that worked for a time and then it stopped working. And whenever I talk to anyone like that, that says that to me, I always go like this. Maybe I've done that with you. What this means is congratulations. You've just graduated from a belief system that you needed for a time, but because God is limitless, God will always invite us to trade in that used up way of believing for something bigger and more expansive. That's always how God works. That's, you should rarely say that, that that's always how God works. But in this instance, I believe it's all the way through the Bible. And um, it's kind of like, like, you know, when you get those annoying emails, like you try to log into one of your apps that you haven't used for a while. And then it says you have to renew your password. You're like, ah, I don't want to renew my password. How stupid. Um, in a similar way, I think if we want to keep understanding who God is, we need a different way of seeing God and a different way of understanding God. Um, God is always inviting us to transcend our flawed ways of understanding. Can I get an amen? Um, so that we can know more about her. So like a good mom or dad, God knows how to meet us where we are with our flawed systems. But then God helps us understand a better way. Okay. And I love what Nathan Banker just said. I love that we don't have to demonize the old belief system in order to move into the next. Yes, you needed that old belief system. It worked until it didn't. And the temptation, you guys, is to demonize it and make it sound. And that's a little bit of what we're seeing in this story on Palm Sunday is the temptation is for those four different belief systems to demonize one another. The temptation would have been for Jesus to demonize everyone that wasn't understanding it, but he didn't. And the temptation is for us to look back on a previous belief system and anyone who's still a part of it with disdain, you know, like with this, this face, like <laughs> I did that for the kids. Um, but the grace of God is this, you guys, and this is so good. The grace of God is this, that God cooperates with us and in our flawed ways of practicing our faith because God knows, God says, you know, just sincerity is what God is looking for. Even if you're wrong and we all are, God meets us where we are. That's the grace of God. But the grace of God is also that God leads us into moments when we're invited to see how practicing our faith in the old way can't take us any further. Amen. God will invite us into these moments where we, we see it just it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't have to be bad or demonized. This doesn't work anymore. And so here's an all play question. What do those moments where we realize that 
our old way of thinking, believing, looking at the world, looking at God, looking at ourselves, when they stop to work, what is it that brings us to that point, to that moment? What is it that brings us to that point typically? Pain, absolutely, Maddie. Trials, hardship, absolutely. Desperation, a new challenge we've never encountered before. Boom, boom, boom. Hunger for more. Yes, love. Yes. It no, it no longer feels feels congruent. Yes, yes, yes. Um, realizing I lost control and I'm in a desert. Yes, Carrie. Um, acceptance, a desire for more. Um, yes, Trump got elected and I realized I couldn't save the world by myself, Bethany. Thank you. Frustration, loss. <laughs> right, yeah. oh. it doesn't make sense or fit with what you know to be true about God thank you Abby family so I want to say that all those things all those moments are little deaths and you guys we are experiencing a global death right now and God didn't cause it I don't believe but God certainly is meeting us in this global death where all of our expectations are getting frustrated, where we're being invited to see ourselves, God, each other in a new way. Um, I went grocery shopping a couple days ago, you guys. I went to three different stores and I came home so utterly exhausted because I'm highly empathic. And I was picking up on everybody else's anxiety and it almost took me out, out. We're living in a moment where these deaths are, are this big global. I'm not talking about death of people. I'm talking about death of an idea that we are, that normal is guaranteed. Death to the idea that normal is guaranteed. We're all realizing that it isn't. And so we have an opportunity um, to go through the death and what happens according to the Paschal mystery after death. Everybody remembers what the Paschal mystery is? Jesus died. Jesus is risen. Christ will come again. Yeah, Bethany, death to the idea that my privilege, whiteness will keep me safe. Um, whoo, whoo, whoo. One of the other lectionary passages leads me to believe that this idea of death, you can't have a resurrection without death. We can't do Easter without going through our own death. We can't do uh, growth without going through our own death. So one of the other passages in the liturgy of the passion is Philippians two verses five through 11. I want to read it to you and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one has set before us. So this is the pathway. Another word for example is pathway. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as the supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient 
He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest name above all names. The authority of the name Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, in the demonic realm, and every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh bringing glory and honor to God, the Father. And that's because Jesus himself was willing to go through his death so that he could be resurrected. And if that's the universal Paschal mystery, if that's the pathway of understanding God and uniting with God, being hidden in Christ with God, being united with humanity, then we should expect moments where our ways of thinking, ways of believing, and ways of practicing need to die. <laughs> Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> Whew. That's Palm Sunday, though. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Giving up our expectations and accepting the pathway that resurrection only happens after death. So we have to see these painful moments for what they are. They're deaths. We are dying to one way of living and believing that has taken us as far as it could go. And we can be thankful for it. So we can rise again like Christ in humility and vulnerability, choosing to obey. Do we like that word? <laughs> we don't like that word. And that, there it is in the pathway of God. Um, because we trust in the way of Jesus. We can't celebrate resurrection if we haven't died. We can't practice the way of Jesus without dying again and again and again. So this quote is from Richard Rohr. He wrote this, and this is from his email. If you don't get his daily email from the Center for Action and Contemplation, it's amazing, especially right now. Email this morning, he wrote this. He's, he was talking about the people that he thought were wise, and I quote, at some point, such people were led to the edge of their private resources, and that breakdown, the edge of their private resources, that breakdown, which usually felt like dying, led them into a larger life. They broke through in what felt like breaking down. Did you hear that? They broke through in what felt like breaking down. But instead of avoiding a personal death or raging at it, they went through a death of their old small self and came out the other side, knowing that death could no longer hurt them. Richard Rohr. So I want to end my sermon um, by reading a piece that I wrote about Judas a couple of years ago. And I've tried to cram this little section into two, my two latest books and it didn't fit. And um, I think it might fit here because my question after reading the liturgy of the passion is what happened to Judas? You know, what happened to him? This disciple who went with Jesus all the way. And then at the very end, you know, got sidetracked and, and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But, we also read in Matthew 27, verse 3. Now listen to this, you guys. This is right in the Bible. 
Now, when Judas the betrayer saw that Jesus had been sentenced to death, remorse filled his heart. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and religious leaders saying, I have sinned because I betrayed an innocent man. Before Judas died, it seemed like he came to a point of dying. And so I wrote this piece as an imagination, my imaginary wondering of what might have happened, what could have happened. Um, So I give this to you. The silver was heavy in his hand, all 30 pieces of it. His long hair hung lank over his neck, over his eyes. He hadn't slept in days and his red rimmed eyes were slits looking out on a world for which he had lost all hope. But he wasn't always hopeless. As a boy, he loved hearing the story about the healing of the world. With hushed tones, Judas's father would grow wistful, his eyes growing large as dinner plates. He spoke of the holy darkness, the very source of life. He spoke of this world emerging out of the heart of the holy darkness as a marvelous ray of light. And it was at that point in the story when Judas would hold his breath, hoping that somehow the accident wouldn't happen this time, but it always did. His father explained how the vessels holding the rays of light, which contained the wholeness of the world, were shattered and became thousands and thousands of fragments of light, which fell into all events and all people across all time. That marvelous light was once whole, but it became broken and lost. It was then that the whole room grew deathly still. And his father would often look right at Judas as he explained that those rays of light remain hidden in all people and in all places to this very day. And that it was the task of all humans to find the hidden light in all events and all people and to lift up that light and make it visible once again. And that was the task to which Judas always knew he would give his life. Anger was his fuel, and he raged at the Roman occupation every time he walked by a cross with a human being hanging from it, a sign of what would happen when anyone didn't play along. He grew tired of the chanting, the singing, and the reading in the synagogues as a teenager. He sat and listened, taking everything in, but he longed for change to come. Sometimes he longed for it so much that he wept as he walked the dusty landscape up and down the hills of Palestine. He was always watching the horizon and hoping. Sometimes that hope lapsed into desperation. He he could be moody and even cruel at times to his younger siblings, but he also had an infectious laugh, the kind of strength that some people feared and that other people followed. He thought he found that light shining the brightest in the man named Jesus who in turn seemed to be able to find the scattered and hidden light in everyone that he met. Jesus was a man of action and Judas followed him everywhere. The light from the torches had glinted off the silver in the darkness as if searching for a way out, perhaps searching for the hidden light. And Judas stared out into the darkness and saw nothing but more darkness. Whatever light had been hidden in all things, if it had ever been hidden in the first place, was extinguished. I found Judas near a crooked tree with a rope in his hands and steel in his eyes. When I came up behind him, I spoke his name. 
He ignored me, keeping at his task until I put my hand on his shaking shoulder. When he turned around, I flinched. I thought he was going to knock me down. But as I held his gaze, I saw that he was a broken vessel heading straight into a darkness that would destroy him. Where are you going? I asked him. At first, his eyes registered anger. They flashed and rumbled. They tore the ground open around me. Then his shoulders fell and the rope dropped to the ground under the bright glow of the moon. And then those shoulders began shaking so violently that I grabbed him and I held him, though the storm was so fierce that I thought it would sweep us both away. When he finally stopped weeping, his eyes finally found mine. I gasped. They were shining like the sun. We walked away from that crooked tree together in search of a thousand fragments of light. What if your darkest moment is also the moment of your greatest birth? What if your breakdown really is your breakthrough? And what if all the energy you're spending holding on could be redeemed by just letting it go and letting the grace of God, the love of God, the patience and kindness of God sweep you into a new way of being? I think that's the invitation of Palm Sunday. And that's a whole lot to think about as we head into Holy Week. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.